sitting in the corner full of all the times you've had But the pattern makes you wanna pack it up and go somewhere Give an embrace to your mother, go for one last time to that place whose backdrop fills your whole album And I'm fucking scared as hell It's a feeling that I choose to inebriation with the purpose Get rid of feelings you want used to And all of your friends are there They're so much taller than you Your head rests upon their shoulders So you're used to turning the other cheek Sometimes I told you Those tears left on my shoulder Got frozen on the way They got frozen on the way So I said It's always running through my head Your woolen jumper silhouette You're normally hard and self Broke to pieces on the harder steps And took me with it for a sec Kissed my head and smoked a cigarette My only solace was that I just did not know the half of it PRS Radio Danang and Hoi An on this very, very special day in March 2021. No, ladies and gentlemen, it is not my birthday. That was a few weeks ago. This is St. Patrick's Day 2021. Loyla Podrick on a ditch. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. Wherever you are in the world, whether it's in Danang, Vietnam, Galway, or Timbuktu. My name is Eugene Leonard. You can call me Mr. Turbod. I don't know what you're at tonight, but I'm going to be heading to the workshop in Da Nang to listen to Mr. Colin Devaney sing from about, I think, 7.30s on the stage. He's an outstanding musician. The music at the start of this episode was actually by him from his 2012 album, This Is The Sound. The song was called Picture Book. Now that's available for you to download on Bandcamp. You can eat, you can you can download it for free, or you can throw in a few pound uh, and buy it for a price of your choosing. I'll put a link to this in the show notes. Now this is a fantastic episode with Colin. If you've ever dated an Irishman, you'll know that we're slow starters. But I tell you what, once we get warmed up, we can go all night. And when I say go, I mean talk. And when I say talk. It's more like talking shit. And it's a bit like the same on this podcast. Me and Colin, the first opening minutes, like we start real slow. But I tell you what, we talk so much it gets to an hour and 40 minutes. I, I decided that I'm going to cut this down and release it as two parts. Part one today, we talk about Colin's early career in Galway, his move over to London, the frustration of life over there and his decision to throw it all away. Well, not throw it all away, but quit London and just (laughs) live as a fat guy eating noodles. His words, not mine. Paradoxically, 
upon moving to Vietnam, he resurrected his musical career completely by accident. Now, Colin loves Vietnam, absolutely loves it here. And we finished this episode of the podcast talking about his changing perspectives on what success means for him nowadays. PRS Radio Da Nang and Hoi An is available on Apple, Google, Breaker, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and many other platforms where podcasts are available. Please like, share, comment, subscribe uh, to the podcast on whichever platform. I'd like to really thank Colin for joining me on this episode. I had a wonderful time talking to him. He's a fantastic man, an incredibly humble man for all that he has done throughout his life. Thank you very much. Enjoy the show, ladies and gentlemen. Colin Devenny, welcome to PRS Radio Da Nang and Hoi An. It's an honor to have you on the show. Um, how are you keeping this week? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Not a problem, man. Happy St. Patrick's week to you. Thank you very much, man. Getting excited. <laughs> Railing up for... I mean, what happens here on St. Patrick's Day? I haven't been here. Oh, I was here last year, actually. You tell me what happens. You've been here for four years. Not a lot. But, I mean, at this, this, this year, they've got plans of a small parade of a couple of motorcycles carrying a... a, a a tractor trailer with a harp on it and all that stuff. So if that goes ahead as planned, that'll be hilarious. That's uh, in the workshop Wednesday night, isn't it? That's in the workshop on the 17th. That's right, yeah. One of your regular venues. One of my regular venues, yeah. Yeah, I love that place. It's uh, one of the, the places actually really putting huge, solid effort into having different stuff on all the time, you know? Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Now, Colin... Um, it was it was my friend or our mutual friend Kurt who invited me to the bungalow one night to listen to you play. Kurt was the I think he was the events manager at the time, and he told me you're an excellent musician. Came down to the bungalow and went, "Oh my God!" As soon as you started to sing, I, I was simply blown away by the voice on you. And in the last two months, I've got to know you really, really well, and it, it's been a privilege. And I mean that it's been an absolute privilege getting to know you. You're you're an absolutely top quality bloke. That's very kind of you, man. Uh, I mean, I, I'm lucky I have the job I have. I love doing it. So mm-hmm. uh, it definitely makes me a lot more friends mm-hmm. than most other jobs I've had. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get into those other jobs in a while. Uh, sure. you, you've had some interesting and varied ones down the yeah, years. That's true. Now, I was listening to a podcast you recorded earlier with uh, Jane on Alt Living, Jane Hambo. Uh, with alt living and yeah. the title was life as a professional musician that's right now it sounds like i think it was your own words you were dragged through school so i'm not going to drag you back through school on this podcast and i'm going to go straight into that i'm going to go straight into your musical career in galway oh, because <laughs> it if ever there was a man that was born as a musician in my opinion after talking to you the last two months it was you 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 were always going to be a musician weren't you well, it looks that way now, but it definitely didn't look that way at the time, um, which I didn't want to do anything else, mm-hmm. really. And I mean, at, at, there were certain points where I literally did nothing else except except that. Um, yeah, I was, I was writing songs. I was busking all the time. That's where I cut my teeth, you know, um, busking on the streets of Galway on and off around four years, you know, mm-hmm. until I made my living there. Um, but I was just obsessed. Um with it uh after i finished after i finished my leave insert i just picked up my guitar and it didn't leave my hands for a good few years mm-hmm. <laughs> it was great um i i would i would i would sneak up to the top of like multi-story car parks and just like practice hotel california you know <laughs> um in the hopes i could play it to someone later that day or whatever it was you know uh, and just like printing sheets off from the internet and just going up and hoping they wouldn't blow away in the in the wind or mm-hmm. get rained on, and uh, just practice doing that. And uh, eventually, I would end up, yeah, busking as a as a as as a money maker, you know, which was a great job, mm-hmm. great job, kind of tiring job, but mm-hmm. it was uh, it was really cool at the time. Now, is there any truth in it that you cut your teeth to uh, Elvis's "Love Me Tender"? Well, yeah, I mean, that was, I learned that song 
it was one of the only guitar lessons I had mm-hmm. as a beginner. Now I've 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 tried to have guitar lessons as a as 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 someone who wanted to study you know jazz music and stuff like that in, in, in the past as well. But the first the only guitar lesson I got in Ireland was uh was to get a bar chord. I didn't know what I didn't know how to play bar chords and I had to mm-hmm. play an F. Um and I had to learn that song and I would have to have the song learned the next week when I went back into him. And I learned how to play the chord, but I was like, I don't want to play this song. So I just never went back uh, to school. And then I just went on ultimateguitar.com and looked at all the chords. And I was like, I can play those now. That's fine. And just figured them out myself. And that was it. Fantastic. <laughs> um, e- you told me a very interesting story about your first two guitars. Uh, one that you picked up, uh, I think your your uncle Vinny or Joe Pesci, as we'll call him Joe. for the rest of the show. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, uh, he helped you get one of your first guitars in London, isn't that right? That's right, man. Yeah, I was I was fifteen years old, and um, we had been just eating pizza and playing computer games all evening, mm. and uh, neither of us were particularly early risers <laughs> but i woke up pretty early and i said to Vinny, i want to i want to buy a guitar this morning and he uh, he hopped off the futon <laughs> that we were that we were sleeping on at the time because we just we just slept over at a friend's house i said come on off we go and uh, he brought us over to to tin pan alley mm-hmm. which is uh, just off charing cross road in, in london and i bought a uh, a uh, kind of a royal blue squire stratocaster Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think I went home with a mohawk mm-hmm. that ta- that time as well. Which and the, the mohawk didn't it didn't suit me soul at the time. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't. Uh, I don't think I really was meant to have the mohawk, but uh, but I was meant to have the guitar. Mm-hmm. And the guitar itself was grand, and it was a great guitar, and I played it, and it was good. But it didn't necessarily spark whatever it was that sparked me mm-hmm. you know to play guitar mm-hmm. generally um the guitar that did that was an acoustic guitar um that i had inherited from some uh, family friends of ours mm-hmm. and uh god uh, god bless him um uh is a, a family friend of ours had uh, committed suicide mm-hmm. and uh the his beautiful mum um called me over to the house and uh said i want you to have this and he gave me a guitar and a few pedals you know mm-hmm. and this acoustic guitar and this acoustic guitar was aesthetically not what you'd normally go for in a in a guitar you know it was like it was it was matte black that would fade into a, a gray and the strings were about two inches off the fretboard and it was like there was there was rust in certain places but uh, and it was very uncomfortable to play. But I played that thing every day, like I, I, there was just something about that guitar. And um, in honor, in honor of him, one of the first songs I learned on the acoustic guitar was uh, the song that they 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 played at his his funeral, um, "Blow His Daughter." Mm-hmm. So without that guitar, I, I, I don't know if I. You know, something happens and it starts at snowball effect, you know? I had a guitar already, but it was that guitar that got me started on the road that I'm on now. Whatever that road is mm-hmm. um, that led me here. But yeah, that's that, that, was, that was that guitar. It was that guitar with the, that would literally make my fingers bleed, mm-hmm. you know? Colin, when we've been talking in the last couple of months about your musical career and about your life, one thing that really stands out for me, I believe in my head, is how influential your Uncle Vinny has been in your musical career. Oh, my uncle, yeah. <laughs> well, for sure. Like, it, it, man, he, he knew from, I think I was 12, mm-hmm. and he asked me what I wanted for Christmas, and I was like, Grand Theft Auto 1. <laughs> Grand, I, I, I didn't hesitate mm-hmm. and he was like yeah okay went out bought me Grand Theft Auto 1 and uh, I went back and I started playing it on the PC now right there was no 
There was no PlayStations at this time. It was all PC gaming, all right? Um, and he seen me play the game for a wee while, and he went down to my mom, and he goes, he's a musician. Mm-hmm. And mom was like, how do you mean? He goes, well, he, he's playing this computer game, and he's, he, he already knows all the words to the song. He's only had the game a day. Mm-hmm. And he's playing the computer game and singing along to all these songs and using his fingers, and he's not being distracted by any of it at all. Like He's, a, he's well able to, to, to play music. You should get him an instrument. And yeah, so he knew since the age of twelve. And he, when he moved to London, the only place I knew to go to where you know playing music made sense, uh, or to go and play music made sense was was London. You know, uh, so he was a big influence by having lived there for a number of years, and uh, and then we got together and we played together for many years as well before I left for Vietnam. So yeah, he was he was a huge influence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's obvious he's not just an influence. He's a man that you have deep respect for. Ah, he's an incredible person. Yeah, um, yeah, he's an incredible person. He's great. He's I mean, he's been playing music since before I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I heard him in the womb when I was in the womb. Uh, my mom came over to hear him play a gig in in London, and uh, I was I was kicking away. That's brilliant. Inside my uh, inside my mom's belly, Adam. Yeah. He was the drummer on your album, uh, This Is The Sound. That's right, yeah. He was, on, he was the drummer on This Is The Sound. He was the drummer on a lot of unreleased stuff as well mm-hmm. uh, that, that did never never quite made it to, to air, as it were. Yet. Uh, yet. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I'd, 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 releasing it would be nice just to get it out into the open. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a long time ago, you know. I'd find it's, I'd, I'd, but why not mm-hmm. as well, you know, who knows. Well... We did play one of your songs at the start of this called uh, Picture Book, and I've used yeah. it in one of my videos before. I think it's a brilliant song. Your uncle, uh, Vinny, was the drummer on that. And at the end, we're going to play one of your songs. I think it's Fountain. Is it just Fountain? Fountain, that's right, yeah. yeah. Fountain. Yeah. And I encourage anyone to take a look at it. It's Bandcamp. You can find Colin's stuff. I, I think it's wonderful music, and I really hope that you do get around to releasing uh, at some stage some more of your music. I appreciate it. Yeah, I've got a big backlog of stuff that does need to come out. Um, yeah, it's just been so long now. Cause you, you know, sometimes you 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 work on stuff, you release, you 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 record it, and then you know, for me, I I, di- I didn't think I'd be releasing music again for a very long time after we recorded that stuff. And uh, after a while, you kind of go, yeah, my like I listen to different stuff now. I write music in a different way now. You know, I haven't recorded anything in a long time, but you know, is is this music a snapshot of what I would have released years ago? Is it is it is it relevant now to the sort of stuff I would I would play? Mm-hmm. Um, I may need to be convinced that's the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, let's get round to that, Colin, because at the age of twenty two, you you travelled or you you made the the journey that many Irish people do yeah. from Ireland over to England to get employment or yeah. Um, now we'll not get into your uh, marketing and HR over your your sure. your, your university career because I so. I know you didn't like it. <laughs> it wasn't amazing, no. But I mean, ultimately, you know, I graduated in two thousand and nine, mm-hmm. and there was just no opportunities out there, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, my dad at the time he worked in recruitment, you know, and there was he was just like, sorry, there's no jobs for you, mm-hmm. you know. And he was right, like <laughs> he was he was dead on right. There was uh, people who had been in careers for like 20 years mm-hmm. and you know they were being rehired back into the workforce again at starter level wages you know mm-hmm. like it was just a bad time for for everyone yeah and you know I was on the dole I didn't know really what to do I was I was working so I could get so I could get part-time dole I was working in a cinema for eight hours a week and that that was it, mm-hmm. just eight hours a week, and then the rest of it was uh, was the dole and any busking I could do. But I mean, once the recession hit in Ireland, that the the busking took a dive. I was mm-hmm. making like before the recession, I was making massive money on busking, mm-hmm. like really really big money on busking, because I did it late. So like, I was like I was taught by now. There's a guy. He's an absolute genius on the guitar. And his name is Philip Cassidy, mm-hmm. uh, probably one of the best blues guitarists in, the, in in Ireland right now. If he's in Ireland right now, I think he's in France. 
Um, but he got me introduced to busking. Um, and uh, late at night. And I started busking as well late at night. And we used to make some good money off it, you know. He was making mm-hmm. his rent money off it. I decided I could supplement my my rent money with, with, with the cinema and with busking. And we did I did that for four years, you know. Mm-hmm. And there were some stories, man. You, 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 if you're busking at one o'clock in the morning on the streets of Galway, <laughs> on the streets of Galway, man, there was people... I mean, there'd be people picking up my guitar case and throwing it across the, the room... There was uh there was there was people I mean there was there was one one particular woman who was wearing uh really high heels and she she fell over and uh she she literally she, she dented my case mm-hmm. like she she literally bent my case with her body her body dented my mm-hmm. case and she got up and she's seeing what happened and she just ran away I think that was my mother it might have been your mum yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It might have. laughs> <laughs> That's shocking. Might have been your mom. Yesterday, Mother's Day as well. <laughs> Sorry, mom. No, it's all, all is forgiven. Don't worry. That, that guitar case is long gone. I believe you uh, supported Damien Dempsey at one stage, but uh, oh they, there, there was an amusing story about uh, the security guards not letting the uh, people into the gig. Can you can you share that with us? Because that's a I had a right chuckle at that when I heard it. Right. So, <laughs> um, I. <laughs> Yeah, I I I had been in a competition, uh, for singing a singing competition in Ireland. Winner gets to support Damien Dempsey, right? Mm-hmm. And there were two slots available, so um, I got the first one, and someone else got the second one, right? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I was the first on stage, so. I would start. I would start the gig. Then the other fella would do the second set, and then it would be Mr. Dempsey heading onto the stage. Right? Fair enough. So I had my band with me at the time, and uh, we went onto the stage. And they were like, "Yeah, it's time for you to go on stage now. You can go for it." And we went on stage, and you know, most bands our age. Uh, we know we know that at that age at the time we were on twenty I think we were in nineteen twenty uh, we're well used to playing to two or three people you know <laughs> but uh, I don't even think we had that I think we just had the crew of the gig and we just started playing and as the set went on and we had a six song set like by song five I was like God there's no one here like <laughs> by song six people start pouring in pouring into the, the venue. I was like, what? Why is this happening? And it turns out that uh, the security guards had thought that the whole thing was a sound check and hadn't opened the doors for this gig. Um, so that's my story of uh, supporting Damien Dempsey. Unfortunately, uh, um, we didn't get any of the, the audience <laughs> that, 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 that we, we, we could have had, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, but thanks, many thanks to Damien for having us on. <laughs> Fantastic story. Reading through your stuff and talking to you, the sense I got of your time in London was uh, just somebody who's very frustrated. Nothing seemed to really click. Yeah. Um, it didn't. Yeah. It didn't, yeah. Um, and i i I think I put the work in mm-hmm. you know i mean i'd uh, now you can you can work smart and you can work hard mm-hmm. and i i i think I worked hard you know mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah look i i i was in i got a part time job working in a in a theater bar you know got a few different theater bars um owned by the same company um and i just the rest of the time was spent in the studio mm-hmm. I would just go into the studio record stuff go over song ideas you know have a cup of tea chat stuff out um and then when that studio time was finished i'd go to work finish work and the people i worked with were always super lovely and nice and uh we would uh we'd go for a few pints after work or whatever it'd be grand and and that was kind of my life mm-hmm. so you end up just like having the Having the few pints after work, if you're working five, six nights a week or whatever, if you're if you're lucky, you know, because you, you need you need whatever money you can get in London, you know. Um, you're working five, six nights a week. You go out and any tips you have, you can buy the pint or whatever, and then go home and 
got up, work again. So it was a very repetitive way of doing things. And uh, we spent a long time going over a lot of details, you know. And uh, But we, we managed to put stuff out, you know. We, we released This Is The Sound mm-hmm. with stuff uh, that, I was, I w- that we, I'd written. Um, and then was writing more stuff. And we're, we were putting together demos. And uh, but the longer I was in London, the more I was realizing that I was I was getting really frustrated, really by by being there because I wasn't really enjoying my life that much. I didn't feel like I was uh, I was progressing too much musically either, and uh, I don't know I don't I don't I don't know what to I don't know what to say. Like sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. You know, you look back and hindsight is twenty twenty on these things uh, and there are some people that did incredibly well and they got out of London as well because it was a bit too much for them and moved on to better, bigger and better things for themselves and uh, some of the people I, I made music with back then are doing just incredible things right now and uh, like looking back at their amount of creativity and drive that they had, you know, it, 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 it was to be a professional original musician in a place like London or Berlin or Dublin or New York or any of these places, you have to be undeniable completely. And hey, I enjoy singing a lot. I've been a trained singer and, and I, I've been singing now for about 20 years. But looking back now on that time, I was not an undeniable um you know, creative at all. I was actually uh, very much in a space where I was not enjoying my life really anymore. And that was taking away from my creative drive to the point where, I mean, I was living in a warehouse, a warehouse full of creatives uh, in Manor House in, in, in London and uh, with some of the, the best people I've ever met. And I, I love them forever. Um, well, one of them had to kind of sit me down at one point and said, what are you doing here? You know, you're not being creative. You're just going to an office job and coming home and listening to <laughs> listening to music you love, you know, but that's, that's, that's just, where's the creativity moment? I, mean, I had to really take a step back and be like, you you know, I didn't like the way you said it, but you're, you're right, you know. Um, by the end of it i literally i couldn't like we'd 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 recorded some stuff um that we're going to be putting out there there's there was some anr people from from some some nice labels that's uh had basically said they had absolutely no faith in the material and they wouldn't be sending it up the the ladder um and then like there was the pr companies i i I couldn't pay people to to release the stuff so at that stage you kind of have to say like I, this probably isn't for me here, you know. Um, so yeah, I I I stopped. I I I kind of fell out of love with it after that after that point. And I mean, I was working. I was at the time I was working in HR, uh, trying to get some money together for the PR companies that wouldn't take my money to 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 release the stuff. Um, and it. I, the job once once I kind of realized that that wasn't going to happen, everything felt pointless, including the job that I was doing at the time. You know, so yeah, it was all quite frustrating, and I didn't have the emotional intelligence to to deal with that effectively at the time. You know, not many people would have gone or do have at that age. I'm sure. Well, I don't know. It maybe not. I got the sense talking to you about that it just wasn't your time. Yeah. Well, I would definitely say that as well. Um it maybe it just wasn't, I don't know. I definitely I I did what I could at the time or at least what I what I felt was the most I could put into it. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it just wasn't my time, I think, yeah. Well, you told me a very interesting story. And it relates back to what I was saying earlier about your departure from London. And, uh, you know, I think 
I've enormous respect for what you did in that you recognized that you needed to change. You recognized that this was not working out and you needed a major change in your life. Because I said to you, you know, it only took you seven years to do that. It took me nearly 21 to make major changes in my life. And when I looked at what you did, you decided, right, London's not working. You, I remember you described it perfectly to me. You were working in HR at the time. You just let somebody go. And just seeing that man walk off down the street just destroyed you inside. And it, it, it led to a major upheaval in your life. Um, can, you, can you just talk us through that moment uh, yeah. of change? Because it's really powerful. Yeah, there was, uh, there was a guy, God love him. Um, he, I, I can't go into details, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh, I, he, was, he was walking away from a meeting where we had to, we had to do a suspension. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was, fairly, he, was on the, he was fairly on the way down the road anyway in terms of the, the, the HR process. You mm-hmm. know? And he was, walking, he was walking down the street and he just like he had the, I don't know, he was just so forlorn, you know. Just walking down the road, and I was like, "I, this, I hate this job. This job sucks. I have to do this all the fucking time, you know." Um, and then I've got to go back in and like listen to the entire meeting notes and retype everything out, and then send a script of this horrible meeting that we've just had to him. Um, so everything is is legal and above board and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, so you have a terrible meeting like that, and then you relive it over and over again and you're just like why and there's so many people and i was doing the job i was doing the job because ultimately if you're in london you need, you need a career mm-hmm. usually but also and you know as, as a human you kind of want a career as well you want something meaningful um but yeah i i, I just i got completely burnt out by the situation it just it was uh, it was an emotional roller coaster of just being uh, like every time I'd I'd kind of call someone into a meeting room, you'd see them, you know, tense up in case something bad was happening. It was it was a terrible uh, dynamic to have, you know, on a job. And toxic. It was really toxic, and I'd, and and but like, I tried not to be toxic. I was fighting tooth and nail against what the job actually was, but still doing it. So if you're fighting against something, but still going. <laughs> going ahead with it it's a really like the cognitive dissonance that creates over time is is pretty big and then you start caring a lot about the company and about the thing because your ego gets involved and your ego's like well you, you have to be doing a good job so you have to do everything by the book you have to do everything legally and everything's done right and you know with, with as much empathy as possible but you need to get your job done if you want to continue having a job or having job satisfaction uh but unfortunately, uh, yeah, I just got completely burnt out by it, you know. But it was that one time I was I was I seen him walking away, and I was like, I, I hate this, I hate this, and I rolled a fag and I started smoking it, and I get a text from uh, a friend of mine that used to work in this particular place, and she just goes, the text message said something like, I'm in Hanoi right now, come visit me, I miss you, and that was the first time I'd realistically thought to myself, I'm leaving, everything everything um and i decided pretty quickly i was going to move to hanoi in vietnam give up the warehouse give up my job uh give up my band leave all my musical instruments here like and just leave everything behind and just go for it just be a fat guy eating noodles in hanoi for however long it took to do that so i just so i i, I rang i think i remember ringing my parents and just being like is this a good idea and they were both like, yeah, yeah, why not? You know, like, you're still in your 20s. This hasn't really worked for you. Give it a go. Um, and so I, uh, I, I quit everything and, and moved, over, moved over here. Fair play to your parents for being so encouraging. That's really, not many parents would have been like that, to be honest with you. And my family's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, yeah, my family's great. Yeah, I love them so much. They're just brilliant. Very supportive. 
what did Vinny have to say about this? Oh, Vinny was all for it, man. Yeah, <laughs> Chris Vinny was all for it, man. It, uh, it was. I mean, he would. He wants to be here right now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd love nothing more than to than to be over here right now, gigging with us, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of being maybe over in London right now, where I mean, Ireland and England right now, with the with the with that which must not be named. Uh, the Mexican beer virus. The Mexican beer virus. Uh, it's not partic- It's not going particularly well over there, unfortunately. Is it? You know? <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, well, if you don't know. Well, good. Just keep it that way. I'll let you know. It's not going particularly well over there. But uh, yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah, I'd love, I'd love for them to be over here. I really would. But yeah, they're, they're super supportive of everything. Um, Colin, that moment was a major, a major moment in your life. Really, that was that was what. January 2017 that you arrived into Vietnam, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. January 30th or something. I've got it all written down here. I've got you well researched. That's mad. (laughs) (laughs) That's mad. Um, Uh, Yeah, yeah. January 13th, 2017. January the 13th. My researcher didn't do his job well enough. Now, despite wanting to leave the music behind, take a little break, but it wasn't long before you were right back in the thick of action up in Hanoi. Yeah, uh, it was pretty crazy. I started dating someone about a week in to mm-hmm. arriving in Hanoi, and uh, she was uh, she's amazing, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was great. Um, super intelligent, like curly, redhead, um, mm-hmm. you know, just, she was fantastic, and... Um, after hearing, I, I wanted to know all about her for the first three days of meeting her, and eventually she was like, well, "What's your story?" You know, like getting frustrated, like tell me something about you. And uh, and I told her my story about being a about being a muso and uh, quitting it all. And she goes, "You have to, you have to play a gig. You have to play again. You should go go do an open mic. You know, mm-hmm. go down to HRC." So I arrived down at HRC, and uh, the hostess with the mostest uh, Ella Beth is up on on stage giving it welly. <laughs> as as was her style back then. Uh, if you don't know Ellie, you 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 you, you will. Okay. Um and uh, and yeah, at the time I remember just the place was full of people, no one on the list, at all. And I walk in, and I'm just like, hey, can I play a few songs? She was like, yes, you can. This is amazing, <laughs> you know. And I was like, how come there's no one here? And so I I went up, and what was supposed to be three songs was a forty five minute set by the end you know mm-hmm. just because there was no one there you know just it kept me playing and i came off the stage and the place was full it just appeared to be full of other people who owned bars in the city i got offered seven gigs off the back of that one open mic and i was like all right i guess i'm back you know i don't even own a guitar i didn't bring my guitar i brought nothing but uh, i knew how much i was going to earn from those seven gigs and i was like right as long as i break even that's Grant. So I found out how much I learned from the seven gigs. I went over to the Guitar Street, bought myself a guitar, and then started gigging again. Just put together a cover set and started. And it didn't stop. Ironic, isn't it? I, I came here to quit. Yeah. I came here to quit. I came here to figure out what was going on to not to not do that anymore. You know, I was mm-hmm. talking about... I was talking to people who'd known me as a musician all my life and just being like, oh, you know, you're going to write songs over it. Yeah, of course I'm going to write songs. I'm going to do this, blah, blah, blah. But inside I was like, no, I'm I'm not doing any of that shit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just sit here and realize some new stuff, you know, just, just live life a little bit. And Hanoi wasn't the city for me either. It was a bit busy. It was a bit dirty and a bit crazy for me. Mm-hmm. And fair enough, you know, it's, very, it's just not, it's just not some people's cup of tea. I got uh, approached by a guy called Etienne uh, in HRC and uh, he was, uh, he's a very, he's a very, very handsome, lovely Frenchman. Can you just stop you there saying HRC is a club or a bar? In HRC Han- is a place called Hanoi Rock City in, okay. in, in Hanoi. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's the place I got my start mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Dukan is the guy that, that, that owns it. Uh, and he's he, he fights tooth and nail to have you know a live music scene in mm-hmm. that part of town, and it's uh, it's it's he's done it extraordinarily well. You know, more power to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, sorry, my apologies. HRC is Hanoi Rock City. Yeah, okay. In, uh, yeah. 
And just mum, if you're listening, Hanoi's in Vietnam too. Hanoi is in Vietnam, yes. <laughs> and Vietnam is just just uh, just south of China. Yeah. <laughs> um, for, for 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 those people, some some people for your, don't know. For your family, some people for my some people don't know. Some people don't know. Um, so I, yeah, I got I got approached by Etienne. Um, uh, he's a he's a, a a lovely Frenchman in a in a in a in a in a, a dark, you know, uh, coat, you know, a long one of those long coats, and he comes over to me and he goes, you know, I I'll spare you his accent, but he's he's like, you know, you're you're wasted here. You should be in Central Vietnam. Uh, there's more gigs, there's more opportunities, there's there's more money. It's paradise. And I was like, sign me up. So I packed my life onto the motorcycle and popped the guitar on my back and we drove the motorbikes from um, from Hanoi to Hoi An in about two and a half days, three days, and stayed there for a while playing gigs and then drove from Hoi An to Saigon doing gigs all the way down. And uh, he asked me at the end, said, where are you going to move back to? And I was like, Hoi An. Because mm-hmm. I'm... I'm, I'm I'm a central Vietnam boy now. Mm-hmm. So moved back to, to Hoi An and continued to play there. Um, the opportunities to play music here, I was just so surprised by. All of these bars, they're not checking what you're playing. They're not trying to check you for being like, oh, you can't play this and you can't play that. Like, you have the opportunity to go and play and develop yourself and play whatever you want. You know, you don't have to be playing Wonderwall and like... Hotel California and all these things. You can play original music. You can play like your Radiohead B sides and you know your 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 Jeff Buckley B sides and and all these songs that you want to play that you think are you know good songs. You can just play it and open people up to a new style of music. And doing that uh, was so awesome for me to be able to do. And that was my job. I just did that for a living, and I uh, was super lucky to find it. Sounds like you found your home. I did, yeah, I did. I, 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 I eventually moved out of Hoi An because it's a, it's a, it's a little small. I was, you know, I lived in London for seven years, Hanoi before that, and uh, I was like, I, I, I want a little bit of a city vibe now. And then Da Nang took me in, and uh, I haven't wanted to leave since. It's, it's a perfect mix of like small city, but it has everything you need. You know, it's great. You mentioned Jeff Buckley in there. I think he's been a big influence in your musical career, not personally, but his. I uh, sure. Music. I <laughs> God, if only I'd met him. Yeah, uh, Jeff Buckley. Of course, he was uh, one of my biggest influences. I remember when I was first learning guitar, playing "Hallelujah" to to Vinny down the phone, because mm. um, uh, uh, my my yeah, Vinny was Vinny was the first person to give me "Grace," the album "Grace" by Jeff Buckley. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, then my friend Liam shortly afterwards was like have you heard this album i was like yes <laughs> it was amazing and uh that's how i started to kind of get into the open bank scene and stuff like that and go away and actually start gigging you know that was that was jeff mm-hmm. that was jeff buckley it was damien rice uh it was mick christopher you know and then it was it was listening to people who were far better at it than me mm-hmm. and uh and uh you know listening to like rodrigo gabriella covers and uh, and Glenn Hansard and and uh and just getting into the the full Galway scene you know it was really was a great place to grow up musically you know what does success mean for you nowadays if if let, let's just take it this way how has success changed for you like as a lad you moved over to London at 22 I'm sure you had a different opinion of what success meant to you yeah. then as what you do now so can you talk to us about your you maybe changing views on what success is well yeah i mean i thought that success back then meant you know being signed having enough money touring all that sort of stuff like just just constantly being able to to work and uh um and having big crowds and 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 having notoriety and all of these things happening together at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which is just not how it happens the vast majority of the time. Anyway, um, whereas now for me, I was like success, success has definitely had to be, uh, the definitions brought back quite a lot, you know. Um, success to me now is like, ultimately, 
just I get to play music for a living. I pay my bills. I've got freedom to go down any artistic route I want to. I live in this nice apartment. I can afford rent on it comfortably. Um, I don't know. I update my pedal boards. I you can I can buy gear. I can go touring. You know, even if it's just within Vietnam right now, that's still amazing. Um, my currently my health is is good. Um, and I like to make sure my mental health is is good as well. Um, and my friends and family are happy. Like this, just uh, success before used to be this very kind of career centric thing. Whereas now it's way more open ended. Of just like I'm content. I'm I'm happy. I'm doing. I'm not. I'm not sat in an office block. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm writing songs and doing podcasts and. And singing and giving people singing lessons and singing live for people and 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 learning new songs and learning new genres and becoming a better musician. Uh, it's been such an amazing lesson in what I actually always wanted. You know, like the only reason I was working super hard and being like so obsessed with making it in music is because I wanted to do it for a living. In London, if you're if you're trying to do music for a living in London you'd better you'd better have another job paying you a lot more money as well in order to do it and I I tried that life and I couldn't do it I couldn't hack it um or at least it didn't uh, it didn't end up me being very happy or creative so here I can be a musician get better at my job while doing it and also you know have friends and have time to work on other things and just be generally happy so uh success man you know that's uh that's what it means to me now you know it's a lot it's a it's a lot smaller than what it used to be in terms of like a vision but it feels way better than anything i've had before basically what you just summed up there in the last few minutes was success is personal fulfillment yes for sure yeah. And you brought up, well, you brought up a lot of things that I want to touch on um, during that, Colin. You, you talked about physical health. You talked about mental health. Sure. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to leave it there for the first part of the show. Again, I'd really like to thank Colin for taking the time to sit down and record this episode with me. He's a fantastic man, he's a fantastic musician and I know that you're going to really enjoy part two of the show as well where Colin shares more of his journey uh, of his time in Vietnam and he talks a lot about physical and mental health and the, the debt of gratitude he has to many people in, including Quinn Hanneman who helped him with his back injury. Colin also has many tips to share for aspiring musicians and it's a it's a really powerful part two of the show I hope you'll I hope you'll listen to it next week if you're in Da Nang tonight as well I, I suggest that you get along to the workshop and listen to Colin play his voice is amazing we're going to finish this episode with another song of his from the album this is the sound the song is called the fountain I hope you enjoy it I'll put a link to I'll put a link to this album in, in the show notes. PRS Radio Denang and Hoi An is available on Apple, Google, Breaker, Spotify and many other platforms where podcasts are available. I'll just give you one more little shout out. Uh, I want you to take a look at, take, take a search on Facebook for Dork Turpod. Dork Turpod is a new initiative I have started and I'm going to do some work with Eaton Levy to record the personal mental health stories of uh, members of the dork community and other members in the community so that's starting this weekend with uh, Johan Falk is I'm going to be speaking to him on Denang 101 I'm really looking forward to that so look out for Dork Turbot on Facebook and it's also available on Apple and many other uh, podcast platforms so that's all for me today have a happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody, wherever you are in the world. As I say, whether it's Galway, Timbuktu, or Abog, County Monaghan, that's where I hail from. Law, Ela Podrick on a ditch. Happy St. Patrick's Day 2021. Take it easy, look, folks. Look after yourself, look after the head. <laughs> look after the heart. <laughs>
<laughs> Stay dry. Take it easy. A jumbo jet and a fountain And a warm dark night Surrounded by trees and a couple Covered in moonlight A slap in the face two years A denial and a sheepdog Who wandered Love you 